back to In the Queue, film conversations with Andrew and Phil. I am Phil, your co-host, and nowhere in this week's film will someone say, I am consciousness, I am alive, I am Chappie. <laughs> no, that is true. Nobody in this movie says those things. No. You, could, you could almost argue that nobody in any but one film. <laughs> I think that'd be a pretty sound argument. Yeah, it would. It probably would. Uh, I am your co-host, Andrew, and there's a certain level of artifice beyond which I don't know whether it's intentional or unintentional, <laughs> and I, <laughs> I I don't know. <laughs> he doesn't know. Well, we're talking about the new film by David Cronenberg called Maps to the Stars. Maps um, to the Stars. When, when, we, when you think of David Cronenberg... You know, you tend to think of some of his classic body horror films that he made in the the particularly in the eighties. Uh, yeah. But his his sort of direction he's in right now is definitely something a little bit different. And uh, I'm sure we'll have a very rich discussion about it. Before we do that, though, uh, we want to tell you where you can find us online. You can find our blog at www.in-the-q. That's the letter Q. dot com. And on our blog, you can find all of the shows that we posted. You can contribute. You can contribute to discussions. You can leave requests for movies you would like us to review. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, you can do some of those same things on our Facebook page. Just do a search for "In the Queue" Q U E U E Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil, and then our Facebook page will pop up. Once again, you can leave comments, requests. You can also look at videos that we post. Sort of. Uh, comment on that particular episode's film. Like, yeah. I just posted a trailer for How to Steal a Million um, after mm-hmm. our listeners request film from last week. And on top of that, you can go to iTunes and just subscribe to us there. Uh, just do a search for In the Queue. And Q is spelled, once again, Q-U-E-U-E. And then the subtitles, Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil, if you so need to enter it. And there you can subscribe to all of our shows. They're all up there as they come out. We put them up. We're very fastidious about that. And they, they will be delivered to you as they come out twice a week. Indeed they will. Mm-hmm. So the film today is Maps to the Stars. Mm-hmm. Um, this is written by a man named Bruce Wagner, who I don't believe has worked with Cronenberg before. But he is a bit of a Hollywood insider, a veteran mm-hmm. of some of the maybe eccentricities that have been going on in Hollywood over the years, mm-hmm. um, which I think you find them in some of the characters in the film. Um, yes. the, the plot, as it were, uh, concerns a family, a Hollywood family who has these sort of like tangential relationships to other people in the, the L.A. community. Mm-hmm. And uh, as they say, there are only two stories in all of storytelling. And that is either a hero goes on a journey or a stranger comes to town. And in this Ooh. film, a stranger comes to town in the form of Mia Vasikovska, who is a young woman who says early on that she's She's curious about the stars of Hollywood. She wants to mm. see as many of them as possible. She wants a map to the stars. That's one of the first things she says to her limo driver, played by Robert Pattinson. But um, as we watch the film, 
we watch her progress. We watch her interactions. She scores a job as a personal assistant of sorts to uh, Julianne Moore's character, Havana Sagrand. Havana Sagrand. Who, yeah. who is a kind of a through and through negative portrayal of a Hollywood actress, I would say. Uh, yeah, I would, <laughs> I would say that's a very fair statement. Um, and and probably maybe an older Hollywood actress too, one who may not be as sought after as she once was and is now kind of desperately clamoring for parts, you know, whatever whatever role she can get. Right. Um, and then on the other side, you've got Havana's masseuse, who's kind of like a mystical, new agey, like psych, psychotherapist slash masseuse, yes. uh, played by John Cusack. And then his wife and his son are also connected, of course, to Hollywood. The son is uh, named Evan Bird. Evan Bird, whose name, character's name is Benji, Benji Weiss. Yep. And um, Benji has been having some visions lately, as has Havana. Mm-hmm. Visions of the dead, uh, yes. haunting visions. And the basically the film kind of centers around this group of people. It's interesting how movies like this that center about like a family or a one group of people often take place in Los Angeles. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I can think of a few other examples too that are like that. But um, anyway, um, I'm going to go ahead and tip my hand and say I thought this movie was fascinating. I, yeah. It took me a while to get into it. Let me tell you, let me tell you why. Because okay. when it began, and it's that scene with Mia Wasikowska and Robert Pattinson, and she's he's driving her from the airport, and they're talking about Hollywood, and they're talking about celebrities, and these are these are real celebrities that are mentioned in this film. Yeah, yeah. They name drop dozens of actual people, and I was like, oh no, this is gonna be like like an in joke attempt at comedy, and and I was genuinely worried. That when Julianne Moore's character started talking about Harvey, for example, that uh-huh. this was going to be the kind of story that like didn't stand up that well on its own, and it kind of required the the viewer's prior knowledge of Hollywood celebrities, right, right, you know, like right. oh this is oh Harvey Weinstein, oh this is oh she was on Mad Men, like very kind of self referential attempted at comedy, and also interestingly, um, I've heard this film labeled a comedy. I think that would be. Fair to some extent. Well, there was a lot of laughter in the theater that I saw it in. Well, you know, it, I mean, it was me and two other people, and um, it was they were <laughs> mostly, I guess, horrified more than than <laughs> amused. But um, uh, yeah, okay. The differences between North Carolina and <laughs> New York City. I would love to hear more about these uh, these moments when people were laughing too. But but what I was just gonna say was, the film goes way deeper than that. And it's just, it's so dark. And and Cronenberg has kind of taken the the otherworldly horror out of his films, but left the human horror in full flower. Hmm, interesting. Um, but I was just curious, Andrew. What these scenes where people were kind of cracking up? Yeah. Like, what uh, can you can you recall a few salient points? Uh, well, I I think that I mean there was a lot of. I think there's a lot of humor in this film. Uh, I it didn't work as well for me as it seems to have for you. Um, uh-huh. I as well found it fascinating. I found it very interesting in its own way. But I 
also didn't think it hung together particularly well. I thought it was seemed like a loose assemblage of things. Uh-huh. Um, reminded me a little bit of David Lynch's Inland Empire. A movie which I know uh, you really, really love. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love it so much. Uh, <laughs> uh, if you can't detect the uh, dripping sarcasm in my voice, that is a movie I dislike immensely. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I dislike it because I felt like it was uh, loosely patched together. It seemed like a lot of disparate ideas that never really found a through line. And I felt kind of similarly in this film. I don't, I didn't feel that completely, but mm-hmm. I did feel like um, there wasn't a lot of, I don't, you know, as we've said before, I don't need resolution in my films, but uh, a lot of it just seemed like it just kind of hung out there mm-hmm. for a while. And, uh, and I'm not, I don't really, maybe I just wasn't right in the right frame of mind to understand the sort of closure to the film. Cause it's a very unusual ending. It's a very unusual kind of, uh, climax even mm-hmm. um and although i found it to be very interesting in that regard uh i i don't know that i liked it right but uh as you say there are you you were asking about the um the points at which people were laughing and stuff like that i i would say throughout i mean there's a lot of funny stuff in this movie there's a lot of throwaway humor mm-hmm. in this film um you know uh benji he has i bet he got a lot of laughs in your theater he did he got a lot of laughs he's He's this very kind of arrogant arrogant acerbic punk kid who looks like a boy but he's got the voice and the posture and the arrogance of somebody much older yeah Um, yeah. but he was i thought he was maybe the the most pivotal character in the film though yeah yeah i would i would say that that's probably true but then it sort of begs the question, you know, what, why, if he was such a pivotal character, which he was, why is he so sort of absent from the the last bit of the film? Um, I, you know, I, I just, I, I thought some of the performances were really excellent. I think Julianne Moore was very good. I think mm-hmm. Nia Wachikowska was really good. Uh, I think John Cusack was spectacular. He got a lot of laughs, too. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that, uh, and the, of course the infamous, well, infamous, maybe not, isn't the right word, but the, the scene in which, uh, Havana Sagrand is sitting on the toilet while talking to, uh, <laughs> Mia Washakowski's character about, uh, about boys. Yeah. It's like this weird <laughs> scene. It's like mixed, mixing like, like fart noises with. Like a somewhat serious yeah. conversation, like it's really bizarre. Um, and and I love that about Cronenberg. I love this sort of bizarre stuff. But um, but it, this is this is coming off of you know, I mean, in the last whatever ten or, or so years, he hasn't been tremendously prolific, but he's made a number of films, and some of those are astonishing, like A History of Violence and. Eastern Promises, and even to a lesser extent, A Dangerous Method mm-hmm. um, was like a, a really interesting, really good film. Um, although I don't think, I think it pales in comparison to those other two I mentioned. Yeah. Uh, but th- those films are like so tight. They're so tight. Mm-hmm. And and this feels so loose. And maybe, this is what I alluded to in, in my opening statement, maybe there is something to that because I mean there were some very distracting touches about this film that I had to think were intentional uh-huh. 
but I don't know to what purpose lay, lay them on they me. were intentional. Well, one of them was the overdubbing. The, a, a, a huge amount of the dialogue in this film is very, very sort of self-consciously ADR. Wow. I mean, it's 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 very it was very noticeably not recorded live. Uh, and that, and I found that to be very strange and I couldn't figure out what that was. And there were some scenes where it didn't seem to be quite as prominent. And I was trying to suss out whether there, there was a difference between the quality of the scenes where it wasn't prominent and the quality of the scenes where it was. You know, I, I definitely noticed there's something going on with the sound and the dialogue scenes, but what I noticed is there seemed to be almost an absence of room tone, uh, during some of these back and forth exchanges. Uh, but I just chalked that up to Cronenberg's desire to have a purely antiseptic, perfect sound and perfect visuals. Like I didn't, I, I never thought for a moment that they were actually like ADR or that they were done, that the the dialogue was separate from the, the film. Well, I definitely got that feeling, and I, I felt like it was almost distracting really? to me. Huh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it could be. It could have been the theater that I was in had a different sound setup or it had just a conspicuous sound setup that allowed it to be more noticeable. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I found it to be an incredibly, um, unusual and several times in the film. I, I returned to that, uh, mm-hmm. noticing that and it sort of took me a little bit out of the film and I kept thinking that it was an intentional choice because Cronenberg is a filmmaker. Um, as anybody who's, who's watched his films know is, is in a very exacting filmmaker. Sure, yeah. He's very, very uh, precise, precise in in what it is that he shows you and what he doesn't show you, and how he cuts his films together. You know, he, he's he's a he's a master craftsman, mm-hmm. and so when you watch one of his films, you you can't assume that something happened by accident. And so I, you know, and 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 another thing that 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 struck me was there's a special effect late in this film. <laughs> I know what you're gonna say. That is. Just the worst. <laughs> I mean, it's it's the most terrible special effect that I think I've ever seen. People people were writing about this on the message boards for this film. Yeah, yeah, and I don't. I I when I was looking at it, I was thinking to myself, well, clearly, we aren't meant to think that this is real. What is happening in this particular scene? Because it doesn't make. Like it's so bad, it is conspicuously bad. And also, there's some humorous business around the special effects yeah. provided by John Cusack, which which might also kind of, uh, you know, implant some doubt in one's mind. Is is this really happening? Yeah. His behavior. What happens is he he finds somebody on fire and he tries to. There's a right next to a pool. All he has to do is just kind of push them into <laughs> the pool, but but instead he's like he's doing like a silent film routine where he's like, Oh my God, what do I do? What do I do? Oh, what about this? <laughs> yeah. Look at this. And then he picks Try, up, he picks up like a blonde chair and just tries to like push the person with the chair into the pool. And it's, I agree. They fall short. It's really bizarre. It is strange and, and thought provoking. It is uh, because, you know, as I said, one cannot assume that any of these choices were made lightly. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can only think that, that Cronenberg, you know, thought through all of this. And if that's the case, then I kept asking myself in this movie, like, (laughs) why did he make this decision? I don't know. And maybe it's that I need to return to the film, but I like, I found it to be colossally 
and maddeningly confounding. Did that take you out of the film pretty harshly? It did. It did. I did not find myself. And, and again, because this is a movie that's dealing with, you know, Hollywood people, right? Who, as we know, any film that is largely critical of the culture of Hollywood is critical of the fact that it's vapid and it's empty and it's, mm. you know, it's without substance. So all of these complaints that I have about the movie usually, or the confusion that arises from this movie usually seems to center around the fact that it seems empty or vapid or, mm-hmm. you know, inconsequential. And, and those, I, I wonder if that's not part of the game. No, I think it is, I it is part of the game, but what I'm not clear on is, is the special effect that might be vapid or, or unsubstantial. Is that part of the game? Because I, well, that's what I'm saying is that like that, like, is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a good question, I guess, because he, 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 like he's like he's, you were saying, I mean, Cronenberg is one of those singular directors. I don't know if I'd call him an auteur, but he's one of those singular singular directors where he nothing is, seems to be left to chance, and, right, and right. you kind of have to basically think, oh, well, the man wanted it this way. Now. I mean, it makes me think of Eyes Wide Shut when, um, right when he when right before Kubrick finished, right before he died, he finished the film, and and turned it into his studio, and in the famous orgy scene, there's those terrible computer generated nudes obscuring the hardcore sex action when uh, when Tom Cruise walks into the orgy. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know what you're talking about, but don't forget that that was only for the American cut of the film in order to make it not NC-17. The European cut, and actually the worldwide cut, everywhere else, they got it without those CG uh, creatures. But that wasn't until years later, wasn't it? No, that was upon release. They didn't, no, nowhere else but America had the, the CG people in the way. Okay, well, so that sort of makes a halfway point then, for, for what I was trying to say. <laughs> but Kubrick still, Kubrick was like the ultimate control freak when it came to movies and you you when you knew and loved his movies you you came to expect that oh we're seeing exactly his vision and then when when i saw that in the theater in you know wherever it was north carolina yeah um, yeah i was like wow that is distracting and bad (laughs) yeah Um, so yeah it, it, it kind of it almost begs some research to into this specifically into this special effect to sort of see what the the purpose was but in in another way we shouldn't have to do that we should be able to make our own minds well yeah and that's why that's why this was a dissatisfying film for me is that uh i i feel like i don't know that having that answer would actually clarify anything for me like it, it i don't know that it would make me like the film or enjoy the film more or like be more in the film uh-huh. if that makes sense um like I, I, I found I found the the sort of scene to scene, you know, business of the film to be fun and interesting and compelling. And I think, as I said, some very fine performances in this film. Mm-hmm. But uh but at the end of it I, I walked away not really feeling like I had seen anything of consequence. <laughs> Which again goes back to like maybe that's the point. I don't know. Hmm. Well, I think one sort of interpretation that 
most people can agree on is is that this is movie this is an indictment of that kind of self oh, yeah. self absorbed vapid culture as as you were saying and um and it takes it takes it to blackly comic extremes to themes yeah. of murder and and uh incest incest and, yeah yeah um incest another for, in a way a form of self love and self infatuation yeah um, yeah, and I think that's the kind of interpretation that one needs to do when you're when you're talking about maps to the stars. I think it really does help to to sort of maybe get a little psychological, maybe a little Freudian. I mean, yeah. wasn't his last film about Freud? Well, yeah, the uh, A Dangerous Method was about Freud and Jung. Yeah, so I think that this this movie will. I think it'll stand up, Andrew, upon some analysis and some reflection, some some. Some... That's quite possible. That's quite possible. And of course, you know, with any of these films that we do, um, when we're doing new releases, we're just giving first impressions. And I only saw this film yesterday. Yeah. You know, so uh, I haven't had a, a great amount of time to sort of ruminate on on what it <laughs> what it could mean. And, and it may it may be that I go back to it at some point. But my initial impression was that I was uh, underwhelmed. Gotcha. And especially by somebody who, like, you know, hist- a history of violence, for instance, is one of my favorite films of the last 15 years. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's just a magnificent piece of filmmaking. Um, and and so to see something that, that is that tight and that, you know, well done, and then to see something like this by the same director is is a little confusing. Do you know what his highest rated film is on IMDb? Uh, is it The Fly? Nope. Oh, what is it? Eastern Promises. Oh, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, 7.7. Yeah, I mean, that's a great film. Wow, 7.7 is the highest rating that Cronenberg has. He's a polarizing director. I guess so, but some of those films are hard to argue with the quality of. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, The Fly, for one. I mean, what a great horror film. I would be surprised. I'm just surprised that that alone wouldn't put it up into the upper echelon. Well, if you think about graphic horror films of the past 20 or 30 years, not many of them are sort of like in the canon of, of great films on IMDb. Yeah, I guess that's true. Uh, I guess that is true. Not sure what it is about those films, but sometimes if you look at older, older horror films, like The Shining and then even older than that, those maybe have had more time to settle into our brains or whatever yeah but you know, yeah and let's not forget that ho- horror as a genre generally tends to be pretty polarizing yeah because some people hate it just on on the fact that it it scares them exactly yeah <laughs> never mind that that's the intent of the film yeah and I, i've never really been a fan of horror films except for a, a handful which yeah, yeah. i mean i don't even consider jaws and the shining to be horror films because they're just great films and i right. love them right. but like I've kind of gr- getting a little bit attached to Cronenberg over the years because his horror films really do give you a lot of food for thought too. Um, oh yeah, and there's really so much more to it than just being frightened. One of the most frightening and disturbing things I've ever seen in a film is that freaking the larva that's that uh, Seth Brundle's girlfriend gives birth to in that dream sequence in The Fly. Yeah, that is so horrifying. Uh, yeah. Have you ever seen The Brood? I haven't, no. 
Uh, there's a there's a birthing in that film that's like oh boy. one of the most horrible things you'll ever see. Well, that's coming out on Criterion, I think. So, well, according to their if if their uh, illustration, if we've interpreted their illustration correctly, I, and I think we have. I think I also read somewhere online that somebody had the inside scoop, and Ooh. and and that was that was one of them. But uh, well, I can't wait for Lewin Davis. To come <laughs> yeah, out. I'm excited about that. Definitely, <laughs> I've got my, uh, my I just had my birthday on the 11th. And uh, on the 10th was when they had their 50% off flat oh, yeah, flash yeah. sale. And so I just bought a bunch of DVDs with my own money. And then the, the box was, was shipped to my apartment. But then it got sent back because nobody was here to pick it up. So then it got sent to my parents' house. And on the upcoming Sunday, I'm going to be at my parents' house for my birthday dinner. And I can oh. open my box of Criterion DVDs while I'm there. Nice, <laughs> nice. That works out well. Yeah, it all works out. Very well. It's all according to plan. All according to plan. Yeah. Well, uh, I think that's our, our conversation about Maps to the Stars. I uh, I didn't like it as much, uh, but I do confess that it is a fascinating film and worthy of analysis. Uh-huh. And at some point, I'll I'll have to return to it and really. Uh, you know, get past my first impression and try to see if there's more there for me. I think there's more there too. And I actually just saw this film a couple hours ago. So oh, wow. <laughs> it's pretty fresh in my mind. Yeah, it's real fresh. And I need to, I would love to read up more about it because definitely this is not a film that has some any easy answers, if you will. Or maybe, yeah, or maybe yeah. it does on a very surface level. Um, which, and maybe that's the point. <laughs> right, because everything else is all surface level in this film. Yeah. <laughs> so just accept the artifice of it, Andrew, right? Yeah, I get. Yeah. And then you will have yeah. learned something about Hollywood. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Well, um, so our next show that we're going to do is going to be another listener's choice. And we're going to do the film Glory. Oh, yeah. And and this is one of Andrew's favorite films. Am I right? Oh, uh, Oh yeah, man. and this is this oh, this is this it. is one of my films that I've never seen yet. Yeah, so. I'm so excited for you to see this. I'm so excited to have the conversation. Wow, uh, Chris from St. Louis is is the one who suggested this, and uh, and I'm really excited to talk about it. Not at my bidding either. He he suggested it completely out of the blue, and uh, and judging by the fact that it is one of my favorite films, and it is. One that Phil had never seen. Yeah, I think that that was a pretty easy choice for us, right? Yeah, and I was, I was trying to get my girlfriend to request "There Will Be Blood" for our show. Uh, <laughs> doesn't quite work that way, but. <laughs> All right. So uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.